Uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 8. Uh, Proverbs 8. And we want to finish, uh, at least chapter 8, uh, the autobiography of Lady Wisdom. And we've, we, what was originally supposed to be a, a, a you know, look at it in one setting has taken us just the fourth week, something like that. Uh, that's sort of the way that seems to happen. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8, we want to read verses 22 to 36. If you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's word. Solomon writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of ode. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. And I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight rejoicing before him. Always rejoicing his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed are the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Whoever finds me finds life and attains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Our Father, we, 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 as we've worked our way through this chapter, what a blessing it's been to see wisdom personified in, in a way that, that we can grasp its meaning. And with wisdom, give us insight and knowledge and prudence and, and, and discretion that we may walk in the ways of wisdom. But as we see here, we cannot walk in the ways of wisdom unless we walk in the ways of the Lord. So Lord, we ask as always, you open our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears, our hands, and our feet, that we will go in obedience to Christ. Transform us for your kingdom and your glory. May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Seated. Well, I suspect you may remember June 2008, which was 15 years ago. Let that sink in. Uh, June 2008, an obscure book was published with little to no fanfare. Uh, you could go up around uh, people and they, wouldn't, and they wouldn't have heard it. I, I worked in a bookstore at a time. We didn't sell it. But some way, somehow, this book just exploded on the scene. The author had written a, a, a one or two other books, but really was a, was, was a name that no one recognized. And before you know it, this book went on to become an international bestseller. Claiming to be a work of theological fiction, it proved to be quite controversial. Nevertheless, it, it sold millions of copies. We couldn't keep it on the shelf at the store. People were asking about it left and right. And eventually, that work of fiction, theological fiction, got turned into a movie, which only made the book all the more popular. The, the book, turned movie, of course, was called The Shack. The uh, resolution or something is off of that. So, sorry, it looks like a, uh, a uh, VeggieTales character right there, doesn't it? But uh, um, The Shack. The Shack was a massive, massive hit. And I don't know if you've read the story or not or watched the movie um, I had to read the book several times uh, because of the uh, research I was doing on a movement called the Emergent Church, and the shack sort of uh, picked up some of the 
theological, I think, mistakes that, that, that you find in the emergent church. But the story, of course, is told of, 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 of a story of, of a man named Mac, who is a grieving father whose daughter had been kidnapped when they went out on a trip, and she was later found dead. And um, here he is working his way through that process of grief. And so he gets a letter in the mail from God to go uh, to the shack where his daughter was found, and there he encounters God. Now, uh, in, in, in essence, it is a story of what's called theodicy. A theodicy is the issue of uh, suffering. Uh, it's the theological, philosophical debate is, is what do we do with suffering in this world? And that is basically what the shack is all about, where the author, through his characters, is wrestling with the question of suffering. Why is there suffering and how are we to respond to it? Now, most may remember uh, from that, not just his depictions of him going through this process of grief and in the climax, spoiler alert, he has to come to a point of forgiving the murderer of, of his daughter. Uh, but what really stuck out for a lot of readers of, and if you watched the movie, perhaps you picked up on this, was the odd descriptions he has of the Trinity, where despite his best efforts, the Trinity is more distinct than unified. It was one of the more controversial parts of the book. There were others as well, especially when you bring in his earlier writings, that I think he, he flirted with non-Orthodox theology. Um, but the, the Trinity in the book is distinct and rarely one. God the Father is portrayed as an African-American woman. Uh, Jesus was a Middle Eastern man, which makes sense. The Spirit, who went by the name of Sarayu, is an Asian woman who gardens, right? And this is his trinity, and they, they will eventually have dinner and talk to Mac and different things. You can read the book for, for yourself. However, I think what is significant for us this evening is not the trinity or how the author portrayed them, but that there was a fourth figure in the Godhead. Although the author would say that that is not the case, it, it is hard not to come to that conclusion in the book. Again, I've not watched the movie, so I suspect this figure is, is, is portrayed in, in the movie because they certainly were in the book. And that figure goes by the name of Sophia. And if you know any Greek whatsoever, you know that the Greek word Sophia is the word wisdom. It is where we get the word philosophia, philosophy, which is phileo, Philadelphia, lover of wisdom. And so in the book, uh, William Paul Young, I think his name is, uh, well, it's up there. Yes, William Paul Young. Um, he, he portrayed Lady Wisdom almost divinely. And the reason he would give for that is the passage we have before us. Without a doubt, the most complicated aspect of Lady Wisdom is what do we do with the passage in front of us? If we just take it at face value, the implication is that Lady Wisdom is a distinct member, we could almost say, of the Godhead. After all, you see, see the language that she is at least there at the beginning. She is there at creation. So a lot of people take the personification of wisdom and, 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 and say that there is something more going on here than just a mere literary device. And so that's why you're going to get works like The Shack that brings with it uh, this idea of an eternal wisdom. And, and my concern is in doing that, we completely miss the point of the passage. Lady Wisdom is Solomon's personification of wisdom. We could even say Lady Wisdom is the personification of divine wisdom. 
And I think we make the error when we say that, okay, you have the Trinity, and then there's this other figure, mysterious figure over here. I think we're missing the point. This is all a personification uh, where she is described in feminine ways, although not exclusively. We have this in this passage. She is later described as a craftsman. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's got the word man in it. But it's Solomon's creative way to help us understand that when we encounter true wisdom, we are encountering the God who is all-wise. You can't separate the divine from wisdom. And so it is that when we come to this, it's that we, we discover why wisdom and why Solomon is so obsessed with wisdom. Because if, if you don't encounter the divine, you'll never uncover wisdom. And those who are fools are, are fools because they have failed to, 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 to encounter the divine. So, so far we've seen the, the call of wisdom, the content of wisdom, the companions of wisdom. And now as we finish this chapter, we want to see the commands of wisdom. And here you'll notice, to keep the C's going, we start with the credentials of wisdom. And we see it there in verses 22 to 31. It starts there in verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Many of you all know that I, I, I coach middle school and high school soccer, the boys team. Um, I've had some players going all the way back to YMCA. My son plays on the team. We won Thursday, for those of you who don't care. We lost Saturday, and we won't talk about that. I'm actually quite proud of, of this team that I have. Like Probably the, the, the best I've had a team play above probably where we should be. I'm really, really proud of them. But I, I, do, I, I do love it. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't think I would. Because when I agreed to coach, it was because I had a son who asked me to coach. And I, I refused to coach little kids, not because I don't think it is worth my investment. It's just, you don't want me doing that, right? I was sparing everybody, including myself, frankly. Um, but when Elijah hit you know, to the U10s, I thought, well, maybe we can get into real soccer here. And, and we, we've really been doing it ever since. The only season we've missed was the COVID year. And, um, and the reason I love it is, 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 is because I love the game, yes, more than I probably should. But also because I really enjoy watching players uh, improve and to watch them experience the highs and lows of sports. Thursday was a real high for us. We beat a team that we, we, we didn't think we really had much of a chance. We, we went down two goals, which is a lot in soccer. Uh, we went down two goals in the first 10 minutes, and over the next 50, we were able to fight back for a win. That was a big deal for us. And the way they, they were all dehydrated, right, because I have no subs, and so they were all cramping from celebrating as the game ended, right, which I think is about as male as you can get, right? That is awesome. Uh, Saturday would be more of a low where we played a team that was significantly better than us, and we struggled really to get any offense going, though that was part of our, uh, our, our strategy. Um, but what I can't stand when I coach are lazy and entitled players. I don't handle that well at all, like at all. You want to see me get worked up. Give me a, just a lazy player. I just, I can't handle it, right? I was raised, my dad was a workaholic, still is. And so when he would play with us, it was a workout experience, right? There was no throw a ball and catch it and throw it back. No, it was, I'm going to see how fast I can make you run and wear you out as soon as I can because I'm exhausted, and so he would send us 50 yards that way, play baseball. He would throw the ball as high as he could above his head and tell us to run. I am not exaggerating. 50 yards is a bit far, but boom would be more like 45. 
right? So we were raised to, 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 to be really competitive. And so I, I, I can't handle lazy or entitled players. Uh, one, one instance I remember is uh, probably my first year ever coaching. Brand new to this, nervous about parents as it is, but had a player, he wasn't very good. Uh, he wasn't good at all. And, uh, but YMCA, they got to play 50%. So I'd taken him out, give him a rest. And I was about to put him back in. And all he did when I called his name was, I'm tired. I want to go home and play my Xbox. And I don't handle that well. He didn't play the rest of the game. I was willing to forfeit the game just so we wouldn't have to play him. Right? And I communicated this to him, right? Like, like did not sugarcoat it. Fine, you'll sit the rest of the game, and people who want to play will play, and we'll have a better chance of winning. Right? And it is true, right? You can have all the talent in the world, but if you're lazy, your team will suffer as a result. And a lot of players who, 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 when they're young, grow up with athletic ability but have no work ethic. I forgot where I'm going with this. Um, but they, if they have no work ethic, everyone will pass them by. You've probably seen that at the college and professional level. And that, that, that is true. Um, but, but in these verses, uh, Lady Wisdom gives us her credentials. And, and when, when I have players who would say, we should do this and we should do that, I had a player Saturday say, our strategy isn't working, right? And I'm like, I realize this, but you've never played soccer before in your life. There's a chance I'm doing something that you can't see, right? Because you're the player and not the coach. What Lady Wisdom does here is she gives us her credentials. She is not new to the scene. She is as old as creation, and she, has, uh, and she continues to guide creation with her wisdom. Notice the word there in verse 22, the Lord possessed me. You, you, my Bible has a footnote there. Your Bible may have one as well. It's, it's primitive root, carries the idea of, of, of erecting or creating, and by extinction, to procure by means of of, of of possession or purchase. Let me give you the, the first instance we see this in the Bible is Genesis 4.1. The good thing is this is large print, right? Now, Adam knew his wife. She conceived and bore a son. She said, I have possessed a man. I have procured a man. I have gotten a man. It's the first reference to, 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 to this word. Chapter 14 of Genesis, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high possessor. There's that word possessor of heaven and earth. He, he, he is the one that has procured it. He is the creator of it. Finally, just to give you a few examples of how this word works, the field that Abraham purchased, do you remember his wife had just died in Genesis 25 and he purchases a, about an acre of land to bury his wife in Canaan. And it is a significant act because this is the first moment the Israelites take possession of the land. This is a significant moment. The God who possesses the earth it now through the Israelites is possessing the land. This is the idea that's carried by it, that Lady Wisdom is possessed by God, not by virtue of a purchase, but by his very essence. He is wisdom. He possesses wisdom. And we see in verses 22 to 23, by wisdom, God created the heavens and the earth. And we know this scientifically, right? Because science exists. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. That whenever particularly Christians and atheists debate the issues of science, creation, all this sort of stuff, they do so under the presupposition that only Christianity can explain. If the world was created, to use the word, by one big gaseous belch in space, and we crawled out of a cesspool of organic goo, that's my definition of evolution, then what we would expect is not clearly defined natural laws. We would find chaos, 
We would find uncertainty because evolution is, relies on uncertainty. Instead, what we have is an ordered universe. What we have are laws, which implies a lawgiver. What we find is order, which implies a creator. And that is what it is that you see here, that God creates with wisdom, to use Solomon's language, with wisdom by his side. Now, that's not a theological statement, right? This is Proverbs. He is personifying wisdom to say that when God created, he created by the means of wisdom that is one of his attributes. God is wise. And so that's what you're going to see starting in verse 24, going all the way down to verse 29. Now, what you need to see here is distinction. Solomon is well-versed in Genesis 1. You read Genesis 1, what you have in the six days of creation is division, distinction, right? See if this is practical for debates that we're having today. You get a distinction of light and darkness, days 1 and 4, right? You get a distinction of the sky and the sea, days 2 and 5. And then you get a distinction of the land and the sea, days 3 and 6. But on day 6, we see more distinction, right? For example, you get the distinction of male and female, married and alone. Right? Distinction is all around creation, and, and that's what Solomon does here. Verses 24 to 25, we get the lowest depths of the oceans, verse 24, and the highest peaks of the mountains, verse 20, 25. What is it we discover there? Lady Wisdom was there. Why? Because both the depths of the oceans and the peak of the mountains, they are the brainchild of an omniwise God. In verse 26 and 27, we see the same thing. We see the land on the one hand, the sky on the other. Why? Because both are gifts of divine wisdom. In verses 28 and 29, we have the waters of the heavens, verse 28, and the waters of the deep, right? So you have the sky and you have the sea. Both are at the command of God who is wise. It is God who decides when do we leave the seas for the sky. It is God who decides what are the limits of the seas by bringing up the land and what are the limits of the land by giving us the seas. It is God who does that, and he does it with wisdom. It isn't chaos, Right? Read the creation account. You're going to see this, the language of sea monsters and stars and everything else that God creates out of wisdom. And all of this, you'll see in verse 30, culminates with rejoicing. Go down to verse 30. Then I was beside him, that is the Lord, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. Notice what wisdom just said about not just creation, but about the image of God. The peak of creation is the peak of God's wisdom. Doesn't look like it, does it? <laughs> does it? I mean, my lands. Turn on the telly. Turn on, uh, uh, unlock your phone. Pick any app. You're going to find maybe mankind wasn't the peak of God's wisdom. And yet, what, what it is that we see here is precisely that. And what is Lady Wisdom doing this entire time? She is rejoicing at the thought and the sight of God's creation. All of this, is, is a, she responds by rejoicing which is, of course, the calling of humanity. We talked about that this morning, that the heavens declare the glory of God. We could add to that, thanks to Lady Wisdom, the heavens declare the wisdom of God. Read Romans 1. This is Paul's point when he says that God has revealed his wrath to everyone, and he starts with creation. His glory is seen in the stars at night on, on, when you're at the top of the hill, the dirt road in the back of the pickup truck with your girl. You see, God's glory manifests. When you are at all at, a, at an awesome uh, 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 falls, 
right? Or, or you're standing on the edge of the beach and you can't see the end of, of the ocean. You, you, you are at awe of God's creation, of his glory, and now we can add his wisdom. Let me make just, just a point, few, few points of, 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 of application here, just, just, just to draw from here. The first is uh, the big idea, the source of wisdom is the divine. These two you cannot separate. Now, Solomon separates them, right, by personifying wisdom. And, and, and now, we'll come to Jesus, but the idea of personifying God as wise will show up in Jesus, right? So the Christian reads it, and it makes complete sense to us. But the Hebrews didn't really have this sort of category because you cannot embody God, right? That's borderline blasphemy. That's why you don't make graven images, but here it's very clear that when we talk about Lady Wisdom, we're talking about the divine. When you're talking about the divine, you're talking about the source of all wisdom. So what Proverbs does is remind us of this over and over again. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to wear you out with this. What I did is I did a word study of the, word, of the phrase fear of the Lord, fear. And what you get in Proverbs, this shows up all the time. And the point is that if it is wisdom you are seeking, it will begin by fearing the Lord. And when one fears the Lord, they do not fear man. And in so doing, they do not choose foolishness, but rather they benefit from the wisdom of God. So we've seen all these, right? Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Notice that the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, instruction, all those words we talked about, Lady Wisdom, where do they begin? Begin with the fear of God. Now we can go back to the beginning of Proverbs 8 where Lady Wisdom calls out the call of wisdom, we said. She goes to the crossroads where, where the harlots are. She goes to the high places. She goes to the gates and she is crying out. Who now is crying out? The divine is. And if you want to heed her voice, come fear the Lord. Proverbs 3, 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And what, what's the result? You turn away from evil. Notice the connection between evil and foolishness. That makes sense now in our, uh, in, our, in our society, doesn't it? You want to find the fool, find the evil one. You find the evil one, you'll find the fool. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. There it is again. Chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Notice the, the, the big difference between what he said in chapter 1 and what he says in chapter 9 is the idea of insight, which we talked about last week. It is one of Lady Wisdom's friends. Proverbs 10, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 14, whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. Notice, you will not find someone who is wise who is an unbeliever. You see that? That doesn't mean that there isn't general wisdom out there. There is. But one who is truly wise is the one who fears the Lord. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. That's the language of Eden. That one may turn away from the snares of death. Again, it's the language of Eden where you will find the fountain of life is one who is free from death. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, chapter 15, is instruction and wisdom and humility comes honor. Chapter 16, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Notice you have the satisfaction of sin and the freedom from it, all rooted in the fear of God. The fear of the Lord, chapter 19, leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Again, it's uh, Eden-like language. Chapter 23, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. That's something Christians have to remind themselves all, all, all the time. Chapter 28, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, and whoever hardens, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity, right? You will either fear the Lord or you will harden your heart, one or the 
uh, other. Chapter, chapter um, uh, 29, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Isn't, isn't that good news? That is good news. Here's the last one. Uh, it's in the context of the uh, of Proverbs 31 woman, right? Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Notice there that Proverbs opens up with the language of the fear of God. It ends with the language of the fear of God, and it's found throughout with one major point. The source of wisdom is the divine. So the more you study the Lord, the more you meditate upon scriptures, the more you dive deep into God's revelation, the wiser you will become. You will not find wisdom on the internet or the, or the comment sections of YouTube. You will find it in the word of God, in the truth of the gospel. Notice, secondly, real quickly, the content of wisdom is reality. I, I just want to point this out. Foolishness is a war against reality. Why? Because God is creator. And he created with wisdom. So if you are at war with reality, truth itself, you are on a dangerous path of foolishness. Wisdom, we've seen with Lady Wisdom, is tied to common sense. Foolishness begins when we believe we know better than God. Isn't this what we are doing as a nation? Right now, if we were serious, a serious people, we can solve most of our problems. Right now, we could solve it. Right here, we could do it just like that. Can, can I solve them for you? Can, can we highlight two things? Just two things. Just to start simple, okay? We would prioritize faith. Because all the studies show that if you want to address issues of depression, anxiety, violence, poverty, everything else, you will prioritize faith. Why? Because wisdom begins with the divine. It is, the source of wisdom is the divine. We know this. We've known this for thousands of years. The second thing we would do is we would prioritize fatherhood. Those two things right there. You want to solve uh, that, that we incarcerate more people in, in America than anywhere else in the world by far? You want to solve that problem? You want to solve delinquency? You want to cut down on teenage pregnancies? You want, to, you want to do everything across the board. Put fathers back in the home. We, we know this, but we're not a serious people because we've convinced ourselves that we know better than the divine. And therefore... We are a nation of fools. Let's move quickly. Uh, we we see, saw the credentials of wisdom. Let's look finally at the commands of wisdom, verses 32 to 30, 36, the end of the chapter. Now, having laid out her credentials, Lady Wisdom lays out her commands. She has two commands. The first is to listen, verses 32 to 34. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction, be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Now, Lady Wisdom associates those who listen to her to those who are blessed. You see the connection? Those who listen are those who bless. Those who ignore her are those who are cursed. It really is that, that straightforward. In the Bible, listening implies hearing, understanding, and applying. Um, when I was growing up, um, my brother and I had a habit. Whenever we had our family discussions, which always ended with a spanking, um, my brother and I had this habit that mom and dad would say, you know X, right? You're not supposed to do X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And we would say, I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Right? And eventually mom and dad would get so tired of hearing us say that. They'd say, if you knew, why did you do it? Right? They got a point. Because what good is knowledge if it lacks wisdom? Discernment, discretion, prudence, what we've seen in Proverbs 8. So too, what good is hearing if there is no doing? And in the Hebrew context, the two are 
connected. That's why the word listen is perhaps a better word for the Shema than hear. So we usually have hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? The better Hebrew word there would probably be listen because listen implies translating, applying, right? Men, have have your wives ever said, you're not listening to me? And you're thinking, I hear everything you say, right? But she doesn't want you to just hear her. She wants you to listen to her, right? And then that's that's, that's what it is that you have here. Notice in verse 32 how listen to me is associated with those who keep my ways. Throughout Proverbs, uh, the blessed ones are, prosper. They are honored and they bear the fruits of wisdom for many generations. Why? Because they listen to Lady Wisdom, who then, as as she guided creation, she guides us. And she guides us with wisdom. So if we listen to her and sit at her doors, we will be blessed. And it is the fool who thinks he can discover blessing by going around Lady Wisdom. Proverbs 15, 31 makes this point well. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. That's good. That is a good summary of what it is she is saying here. So we are commanded by Lady Wisdom to listen to her. Remember, as, as the chapter started, she is calling out from the gate. She is at the high places. She is at the crossroads crying out to any who would listen to her. And here at the end of the chapter, the command is clear. Listen and be blessed. We are called, uh, commanded to listen. Secondly, we are commanded to live. Verses 35 to 36. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. That is a good definition of the word blessed. What do you say? One who finds favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself, and all who hate me love death. Wow, that's, that's incredible language, isn't it? The fool loves death because that is what he has chosen for himself. You don't have to look far to discover that, right? You know that certain lifestyles will destroy you. You know certain decisions are bad for you and the people around you. Why do you choose for yourself and the people you claim to love death? What wisdom wants us to do is live. Live the blessed life. Those who live, listen, will live. Here, to live is to walk under God's umbrella of favor. We could call this God's delight or God's goodwill. And isn't this what we all want ultimately in life? To dwell under the umbrella of God's favor? This requires faith and a generous God who gives to us wisdom liberally. It requires an understanding that we are constantly in need of wisdom. We never arrive at full knowledge or discernment. We must always listen, and we must always live by her wisdom. And as we saw in verse 36, the opposite is true. Those who fail to find wisdom will injure themselves and choose for themselves death and misery. I don't, I don't think it is good to say, come to Jesus and all your problems will be resolved. I don't think that is correct. But I will say, You come to Christ and you follow Lady Wisdom, which is revealed in Christ, the source of all wisdom. What you will find is favor and a blessed life even through hardship. That is different than one who is stuck trusting in their own understanding and insights. That will only lead to a life of misery and death. Will we heed her call? But we obey her commandments. Well, no doubt, this language that Solomon uses for wisdom is quite striking. But as we said earlier, it's, it's not weird for the Christian, is it? 
The idea that God can be personified as omni-wise makes sense because we have now the final revelation of the New Testaments. And if you read the New Testament carefully, it, it, it's clear that the gospel writers are aware of Lady Wisdom. We don't have time to go in full detail. Can I just point out a few Bible verses and, and see if they make a little bit more sense to you now that we've met Lady Wisdom in some detail? Let's start in the Nativity. Uh, Luke chapter 2, the child, that is Jesus, grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Makes a little sense now, right? Because who is Christ? He is not just the personification of, of, of the divine one. He is the incarnation of the divine. And we get in John's gospel that he is the creator. Thus, we cannot separate lady wisdom from creation, right? That's what we've seen this evening. But now we have them embodied in a single individual, the logos, the omniwise. We're consider what Luke says in a few verses later. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, right? This is after um, he, 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 uh, he forgot to uh, uh, meet in the minivan, you know? And so they left him behind, right? And, you know, it's the youth group. They, they, they lost count. They, they, someone said he was there and he apparently wasn't there. So they turned the church van around. But they found him in the temple, court, temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Right? This is the divine son of God asking questions. I don't understand that. You don't either. Let's just keep reading. Okay? Verse 47. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding. There's that word. One of wisdom's companions. His insights and his answers. It's interesting. He's, he's asking questions but he's also giving the answers. <laughs> uh, isn't that like the worst people you've ever met, right? You know, he, he already knows the answers to his own questions, but he's listening. He's growing in wisdom and stature, and he has insight. A few verses after that, it says, I've already quoted, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Isn't that the way wisdom works? is it affects our relationship with the divine and affects our relationship with our neighbor. It's, in that sense, it's sort of like love. Well, it makes sense then that we have one who is incarnated, who is the embodiment of wisdom. As we've quoted over and over again, Jesus claims for himself to be one who is greater than Solomon. And I would add, he is not the one greater than wisdom. He is the incarnation of wisdom. Paul hints at this in Colossians 1. Then we're done. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Now that's worth chewing on, isn't it? To be the image of the invisible? How do you do that? But he is. That's, that's, that's a great definition of the incarnation. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Sounds like Proverbs 8, uh, is it 20, 22, 21 where we started? For in him, there's that language, in him, all things were created. And here we could pause, right, and look at verses, what, 24 to 29? The depths of the oceans, the peak of the mountains, the height of the sky, the lows of the seas. We could read that right here, and it would make complete sense for Paul. Things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. Here it is. For him. Solomon would say that creation came by wisdom. And Paul says, you're exactly right. 
embodied in Christ. But here's, here's the extra detail. It was created for him. And as we saw this morning, that is the definition of glory. God in Christ is glorious. He shares his glory in creation and receives glory from the created. This is far better than Lady Wisdom. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together the doctrine that Christ is not only creator but sustainer. Does it make sense? The climax of Proverbs 8 is not Lady Wisdom. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Come to him. Learn from him. And you will discover in him true wisdom that gives life. Well, shall we pray? And we'll be dismissed. Our Father, thank you.